welcome to My Favorite Theorem, a podcast about mathematics, favorite theorems, and other random stuff that we never know what it'll be. I'm one of your hosts, uh, Kevin Knudsen. I'm professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. This is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I forgot to turn on the heat when I first woke up this morning. I've got separate systems, so it is very cold in the basement here where I'm recording. Well, uh. yeah, see, it's, it's, it's cold in Florida this morning. It was, you know, in the mid-60s. It's very pleasant. I'm, st- I'm still in short sleeves. Our, our, our <laughs> listeners can't see this, but I'm in short sleeves. Evelyn's in a sweater, and our guest is in a jacket in his attic. So uh, yes. today we are happy <laughs> to welcome Naira Chamberlain all the way from the U.K. Can you... Uh, Tell everyone about yourself a little bit. Yes, hello. My name is uh, Dr. Nara Chamberlain. I'm a professional mathematical modeler. I'm also the president designate of the Institute of Mathematics and its applications. Fantastic. So tell us about the IMA a little bit. So we have one of those here, but it's a different thing. So, so what is it? Right. I mean, the Institute of Mathematics and its application is a professional body of mathematicians, a professional mathematicians, and it's a learned society. It's been around since 1964. Mm. Um, we're there to actually to to make to pursue make sure that UK has a strong mathematical culture and look after the, the, the interests of mathematicians both in industry government and academia oh that's great maybe we should have one of the so the IMA here is something else it's like a mathematics institute but um, mm-hmm. but this is uh, maybe the US should have one of these we have the AMS right the American Mathematical Society yeah, that, or SIAM might be more similar because yeah. it does applications uh, applied math but yeah um, yeah, yeah. kind of got some so, so we asked you on for lots of reasons. One is, you know, you're just sort of an interesting guy. Uh, two, because you're an applied mathematician, and we like to have, you know, applied mathematicians on as much as we can. Three, you, uh, you actually won something called the Great Internet Math Off this summer, of which Evelyn yes. was a participant. Uh, so, so he has been ruled. He's not just an interesting guy. He has been officially ruled the most interesting mathematician in the world among people who were in the competition. <laughs> the person who ran it always put like a, this very long disclaimer asterisk. But I think, I think Naira uh, definitely has some claim on, on the title here. So yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, big, great internet math off? Yes, I mean, th- I mean then we have, uh, let's say, uh, an organization, a group of mathematicians that do a blog, a periodical, and they decided to start this competition called the Big Internet Math Off. And if you, you know, as a, as a knockout tournament, 60 mathematicians, and they put up something interesting about mathematics. Uh, put, it was put up on the internet. It was there for 48 hours. The general public would vote for what they found was their most favorite or most interesting. And the winner would progress to the next round. And there was like four rounds altogether. And if you reach to the final and if you win it, you you get the title world's most interesting mathematician. So, and when I was uh, invited, uh, I thought, Ooh, isn't this really for those mathematicians that are like like pure mathematicians and those public communicators and those interposals? I mean, I'm a mathematical modeler and applied mathematics, so what, what am I really going to talk about? And then when I saw um, that when I was actually introduced as the applied mathematician and everybody else was, let's say, the, um, the public communicator and here's the applied mathematician, it was almost like, then here's the villain. Boom. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought, okay, there you go. I'm thinking, all right, what I'm going to do is that I'm, going to, I'm actually going to stick to being an applied mathematician. So I, uh, after three out of the four topics I actually uh, introduced was, was about applied mathematics. And uh, yes, and, uh, away we, and like the, the fourth topic was actually about mathma- uh, the history of mathematics. So, and um, yes, and uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to get through each of the rounds and, and, and win the overall competition. So it was, it was very interesting. It was very good. 
Yeah, and I, I do wish, I, I think you look very interesting right now because I, I wish our listeners could see that you, uh, you've got headphones on that make you look a little bit like a pilot and behind you is this V-shaped uh, beams, I guess in the attic where, you know, I can totally imagine you like piloting some ship here. So you're really looking the part this morning or this afternoon for you. This yeah, morning. this afternoon. Well, thank, well, thank you very much indeed. I mean, unless, uh, I'm in the, uh, what I call my mathematics attack room, which is the attic. And I have about 200 <laughs> mathematical books behind me. And I've got three whiteboards in front of me, quite a number of computer screens. And I got all my mathematical resources all in one place. Okay, so I, yeah. just, took a, I just took a screenshot. So maybe, maybe uh, <laughs> we'll with your permission, we'll put, this, <laughs> we'll put this up somewhere. <laughs> so uh, this is a podcast about theorems. So, uh, so Naira, what is your favorite theorem? Okay, my favorite theorem is actually is to do with the Lorenz equation, the Lorenz attractor. Now, it was done in, 19, in the 1960s by a meteorologist called Edward Lorenz. Mm -hmm. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to take a, a, a partial differential equation, see if you can make some simplifications to it. And he came up with um, three ordinary uh, nonlinear ordinary differential equations to actually to look at, let's say, the convection and the movement to see whether he can actually use that to actually to do some meteorological uh, predictions. Mm -hmm. And then he, um, he, he got this uh, a set of equations, went to work about solving it numerically, and then he decided, actually, I better restart my computer again because I've done something wrong. So he went back, he restarted the computer, but he actually changed the initial conditions by a little bit. And then when he came back, he actually saw that the, the trajectory of the solution was different from what he had started. And then when he went back and started checking, he actually saw that the initial conditions only, only changed by a little bit. And what was this was probably was one of the first examples of the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. The butterfly effect is saying that if, let's say, a butterfly flaps its wings, then uh, that will prevent a hurricane going into Florida. Topical. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, if, let's say, another butterfly flaps its wings, then maybe another um, hurricane may go uh, into uh, into Salt Lake City, for 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 example. Yeah. And let's say this is let's say an example of you know chaotic um, chaotic behavior. Once you choose certain parameters, now the reason why I like this uh, theorem so much is I was actually introduced to this um, topic when I was in my final year of my mathematics degree, and it probably was one of the introductions to the field of mathematical modeling recognizing that when you actually model reality, mathematics is powerful, but also has its limitations. Mm. And you're just trying to find that boundary between what, what, what can be done and what can't be done. And mathematical modeling has a part to play in that. Right. What's so interesting about meteorological modeling is that uh, I've noticed that um, forecasts are really good for about two days. Yeah. Right. So with modern computing power, I mean, of course, you know, as you pointed out, everything's so sensitive to initial conditions that if you have good initial data, you can get a good forecast for a couple of days. But I never believe them beyond that. And it's, and it's not because the models are bad. It's because the computation is so precise now that the errors can propagate and you sort of get these problems. Uh, is, is, do you have any sense of how we might extend those, those models out better? Or are we just, is it just a lost cause? Is it hopeless? It's, it's probably a loss, because I agree with you to a certain extent, but it was, it's a case of when we're dealing with, let's say, meteorological um, equations, you know, if they're off a chaotic behavior, they're off a chaotic behavior, mm -hmm. if, the, if we put down an initial conditions and it's changed, you know, it's, it's going out and it's changing, it just shows that, yeah, we may have good predictions 
to begin with. But as we go on uh, into the future, we those those rounding errors will will, mm -hmm. will come. Those differences will come, mm -hmm. and it's almost like just using a let's use let's say an, an analogy. Let's say you go onto whatever your computer algebra software you have, and you get pi, and let's say you square root it ten times, and then you raise it to a power 10 times, and then if you square root it 100 times, and then you raise it power to 100 times, then, and then you keep on repeating that. And then actually, when you come back to the figure, you're thinking, is this figure actually pi? No, it's not, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's also, if you use different, uh, let's say different calculators or different computer, mm -hmm. uh, um, computer algebra softwares, you see that they will have actually the difference. And it's, 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 it's that point where, in terms of when we're doing, let's say, predicting a web, weather system, because of the chaotic behavior of the actual nonlinear differential equations, mm -hmm. coupled with, the, coupled with the, those rounded errors, it is very difficult to do that long-term weather forecast. So nobody can really say to me, by the way, in five years' time, on the 17th of June, the weather will be this, and it will be, it's, you know, that's, that, that, that's, a, that's a very much a nonsense. Sure, sure. Well, I, mean, I guess um, orbital mechanics are that way too, right? I mean, sort of the, the planetary orbits. I mean, we understand them, but we also can't predict anything in some sense. No. Right? Yeah, right, right. Well, you know, I, I, living in Florida, I pay a lot of attention to hurricane models. Uh, and it's actually really fascinating to go to um, these various sites. So windy.com is a good one of these. They'll, they'll, they show the, 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 the wind field all over the whole planet if you want. And they'll also, when there are hurricanes, they have the separate models. So the European model actually turns out to be better than the American one a lot, uh, which is sort of interesting because hurricanes affect us a lot more than, than they do. I mean, the remnants get to, to the UK and all of that. But um, uh, so, so it, it, you're, you're right. It's sort of interesting, the, the, the different implementations. It's the same equations, essentially, right? that underlie everything, get built into different models, and then different computing systems have the different rounding error. And, and the, the models, they sort of, they're, they're usually pretty close, but they do diverge. It's really very fascinating. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we had, um, over here in the United Kingdom, we had a, a, an interesting case in 1987 where um, the uh, French uh, meteorology office says, oh, by the way, north, people in the north of France, they should be aware that um, there's going to be a hurricane approaching. While the British British meteorological office saying, "Oh, there's there's no way that there's going to be a hurricane. There's no hurricane." Our model says there's going to be no hurricane. So the French saying there's going to be a hurricane. The British <laughs> says it's not going to be a hurricane. Uh -huh. And guess what? The French were right. Oh. <laughs> and, a hurricane, <laughs> and a hurricane hit the hit the United Kingdom. Um, because of that, what they did is that they now the the Met Office has now put, which is the main weather place in Britain, mm -hmm. what they've done is that they put quite a number of boats out, out in the Atlantic to measure, um, to come up with a much more accurate measure mm. of, of the weather system so that they can actually feed them models and you also use more powerful models because the equation itself remains the same. Mm -hmm. It's the information that actually goes into it, sure. which is which is, the, which is the difference, yeah? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, t in terms of, let's say, with the uh, American models, it's all dependent on who you get the measurements from because you may not get exactly the measurements from the same boats. You may get it from the different boat, from different boats in a different location, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. different people. This is where you come to that, the human factor. Some people will do, say, oh, write it to this significant figure, while somebody else will say, write it to this significant figure. And guess what? All that actually affects your final <laughs> results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that matters. Yeah. Yes. So do you do this kind of modeling yourself or are you in other applications? 
Oh, I'm very much in, in other um, applications. I mean, I'm still very much a, a mathematical modeler. I mean, mm -hmm. the, uh, my research now is, is, um, is to do with uh, can to minimize the probability of artificial intelligence takeover. That's, uh, that's what, uh, <laughs> that's what my, my, my current research I'm doing at Loughborough University. Well, that, you know, the, the robots will have you first in the line or something, <laughs> <laughs> the robot uprising. Yeah. Well, the, we talk about robots, but this is, this is quite interesting. He's saying, when we're talking about, let's say, artificial intelligence takeover, everybody thinks about the, um, the Hollywood Terminator Matrix, mm -hmm. uh, iRobot, you know, robots marching down the, down the street. But it, there are different types of AI takeovers, and some of them are quite much more subtle than that. For instance, one, one scenario is, let's say, for instance, you have a company, and they they decide to really upgrade their, their artificial intelligence, their machine learning to a certain sense that it's, it's more advanced than their competition. It's, and by doing so, they actually put all their competitors out of business. And so what you have is that you have this one company almost running the world, world uh, economy. Now, the question is, would that company make decisions based on its AI? Would they make decisions that is, co that is, um, that is uh, conducive with social cohesion? And we can't, you can't actually say, you can't put your hand on the heart and say, absolutely yes, because um, a machine is, is cold, it's largely, you can say one, zero, it doesn't really care about the, the consequences of social cohesion. Mm -hmm. And so henceforth, we, we, have to, we can actually do, a, let's say, a model of that saying, could we ever get to a situation where one company actually dominates all different industrial sectors and ends up, let's say, running the world economy? And if that's the case, through what, can, what strategies can we actually implement to try and minimize that risk? Sounds not entirely hypothetical. No, <laughs> no. Well, you know, of course, the, the, the conspiracy theorist types in the U.S. would have you believe that this already exists, right? The, the, the deep state and the Illuminati run everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to um, the Lorenz system and, and everything, was this one of, you, you were saying that this is one of the earliest examples of mathematical modeling you saw. Was it one of the things that kind of inspired you to go that direction uh, when you got your PhD? Yes, I mean, um, so I was doing that as part of my final year mathematics degree. And, and I thought, well, this, this whole idea that, um, you know, here's a, a applied mathematics, using mathematics in the real world, seeing that uh, there are problems that are, you know, some people say it's impossible, you can't use mathematics, and you're just trying to push the boundaries of mathematics to say, this is how we actually model reality. It was one of the things that actually did inspire me. So Edward Lorenz did actually inspire me to saying, wait a minute, mathematics, applied mathematics, it's not necessarily about, here's a, here's a problem, here's an equation, put the numbers in the right places, and here's a solution. It's about gaining that insight into the real world, learning more about the world around you, learning more about the universe around you, through through mathematics, and that's what's and that what's inspired me. And it's very imprecise, but but that's sort of what makes it intriguing, right? I mean, you know, you, you have to come up with a, with sort of simplifying assumptions to to even build a model, and then how much information can we extract from that? Yeah, I mean, seeing as that's the that's one of the key things about let's say mathematical modeling. I mean, mm -hmm. you're looking at the world; the, the world is complex, full of uncertainty, and is and is messy, mm -hmm. and you you are making some you're going to make some simplifying assumptions. But the key thing is, do you make simplifying assumptions in, to an extent that it actually corrupts and compromises your solution? Mm -hmm. Or do you make simplifying assumptions that actually say, actually, this gives me insight into how the world actually works? 
and recognizing which factors do you include, which factors do you exclude, and bring a model that is what I call is useful. Mm, right. That's, that's the art, right? That's the art. Yeah. That's the, as I would say, that's the art of mathematical modeling. So another thing we do on this podcast is we ask our guests to pair their, their theorem with something. So, so what pairs well with uh, the, the Lorenz equation? I chose to prepare, um, pair it with the, um, the Jamaican dish called ackee, yam, and sawfish. Now, the reason why mm -hmm. is with ackee, yam, and sawfish, if you cook it right, it is delicious, but if you cook it wrong, the ackee turns out to be poisonous, and that's a bit like the Lorenzo equation. What is ackee? I don't think I know what this is. Ackee, okay, ackee is actually a vegetable, but if you actually to look at it, it mm -hmm. looks like scrambled egg, but it's actually a vegetable. It's like a yellow vegetable. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and um, yam, it, it, it's like a overgrown, very hard potato. It looks like a very overgrown hard potato. Sure, yeah. And selfish is just a Jamaican saying for cod. It, even though they say, okay. you could really say ackee, yam, and cod, but they don't call it cod, they call it selfish. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. So ackee, I've never heard of ackee. I mean, I knew, I knew that yams. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so, yeah, so in the United States, most people will call sweet potatoes uh, yams. They'll use those two words interchangeably. But of course, yams are distinct, and I think they can be poisonous if you don't cook them right, right? Or, or some varieties can. But so ackee is something separate from the yam. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Also poisonous if you don't cook it right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so can you actually access this in, in England or do you have to, to go to Jamaica to get this? Yes, we can access this in England because mm -hmm. in, in England we have a, a large West Indian diaspora sure. community. Right. And, and also you, we do get, let's say, a variety of uh, foods from different countries around the world. So we can, it's, a, it's relatively easy to, to access um, Akiya. And also we've got quite a number of Caribbean restaurants. So, mm -hmm. and. Yes, definitely there you, we, where you want to cook it right. So that's interesting. We, we, we have a Caribbean restaurant here in town uh, in Gainesville, which, of course, we're not as far away as you are. Um, but they don't, they, don't, they don't try to poison us. Um, <laughs> the, the food is delicious that here. That you I, know I, of. Well, that's right. I, I love eating here. The food is really spectacular. Um, but oh, this is interesting. So, okay. So, so and, and is this a family uh, recipe? Do you have roots in in the West Indies, or? Yes, well, I say my parents are were from from Jamaica, okay. and I still have relatives out in Jamaica. And uh, let's say my wife's descendants is Jamaican, so mm -hmm. now and again we do have that. Uh, let's have a Caribbean meal, and we do have that Caribbean meal. Mm -hmm. So, so I've, I, you know, I thought, well, what shall I say as a as, as food? I thought, well, should I go for the British fish and chips? And I thought, no, let's go for Aki Yam and Sawfish. Sure. Well, and actually, I think your your jacket looks like the Jamaican. Uh, uh, a Jamaican-influenced thing, right? With the, the black, green, and the yellow, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's because it's, uh, uh, it's quite cold in the, in the attic, so I decided <laughs> just to do uh, uh, yeah, you know, This is the uh, same jacket that they, same style of jacket as the Jamaican Bob Slaty, so I've decided just oh, to okay. wear it, as it's quite cold up here. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That Cool Runnings, the movie about that, was an integral part of my childhood. <laughs> um, that was, uh, my, my brother and sister and I watched that movie a lot. Mm -hmm. um, Excellent. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious about this uh, Aki vegetable. Like, how sensitive are we talking for the dependence on initial conditions, the dependence on cooking this correctly to be safe? Is it, like, pretty good, or do you have to be pretty careful? Uh, so you have to be... You have to be pretty good and pretty careful as long as you follow the instructions. But it is a case of if you cook it, if you don't cook it long enough, if you don't cook it at a high enough temperature, you, whatever you do, please do not eat it cold. Do not eat it raw. Okay. 
Like, it, it, it's actually, it might kill you, or it'll just make you really sick? It will make you really sick. Okay. Um, I haven't heard, well, this was why I do not wish to carry out the experiments to see what would happen. Understood. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, this has been great fun. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, so thanks for joining us, Naira. Uh, thank you very much indeed for inviting me. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics.